You're listening to the Church of Life and Praise podcast. If you'd like more information about our ministry, please visit us at churchoflifeandpraise.com or check us out on Facebook. Our prayer is that you would come to know Jesus in a deeper way. Now, enjoy the message. I have the privilege today of addressing our senior graduate and just sharing a little bit of wisdom that I have um, grown. Thank you. Wisdom that I have stepped into and um, knowledge that I've received from God in the you know couple of years that I have on him. <laughs> um, and and as I was preparing this uh, message, I... Typically, we do an address to the eighth grader separately from an address to the senior graduate. <clears throat> but as I was preparing this this message, I felt that much of what I was going to be sharing with our, our senior today also applied to our eighth grader. Um, and so I felt like I just wanted to do them both together. So this is officially an address to our senior. But Jeremiah, this is also for you and the rest of you as well. Um, there are takeaways that we can all um, receive from this message. So, so I will be uh, addressing the senior as I speak, but I'm also talking to the rest of you as well. If you would, I'd like to take a moment and have everybody close their eyes really quick. Uh, God's presence hasn't left. (laughs) It's right here with us. And so I am going to be leaning on God as I speak today and allowing him to share what he desires with our graduates today. So I just want to open my message, and you can keep your eyes closed. (laughs) Um, I just want to open my message today by asking everybody if you if I could paint a mental picture for you. Just picture this in your head as I describe it. Um, <clears throat> I see I, I see a beautiful wooden gate. It's ornate. It has that that arch, that like lattice arch. It's got vines and flowers. And I step up to and I open the gate and I walk in and it's just this beautiful garden. For those of you that were at uh, our memorial service for Beverly, the way that they described, that Pastor Ray described her garden is how I, I, was what I see. There's a little pond with a stream going to it and and fish swimming around. There's flowers that are beautiful and fragrant. And there's a comfortable amount of tree cover. So there are places of shade and places of sun. There's a nice cool summer breeze coming through. There are benches scattered here and there, a gazebo in the distance, places where you can sit and think and talk. And the sun is shining. There's a few big 
puffy clouds in the sky. It's just, to me, this is the essence of beauty and perfection and a place that I would want to be for eternity. And when I turn back around and I look out the gate that I walked in, it's dark. It's as if the sun doesn't shine there, even though I'm only feet away from the gate. It's dark, and there are gnarly trees growing that have all but died because of disease and a lack of care. And there's no grass. It's, it's just, just like prairie. It's just, just dirt and shrubs, and <clears throat> it's ugly. And so I turn back around and I look at the garden and I just take it in. Just keep that picture in your mind as I share what God has shared with me. because I'm going to come back around to it at the end and kind of explain a little bit of how that what that has to do with the word consecration. And you can open your eyes now if you'd like, or you can keep them closed. It's up to you. So consecration, it's kind of a, kind of a big word. It's a Christianese word. <clears throat> like um, like uh, I, I put a hedge of protection around you <clears throat> I speak the blood of Jesus over you. I'm not dissing on those things, just so you know. I'm just saying Christianese words, things we like to use, phrases, words we like to use that are used a lot in our sphere, but can sometimes lose their meaning because they are used so much and not explained and not understood by people. And so it just it feels like it's the thing to say. <clears throat> So consecration for me has often felt like that, kind of a Christianese word, something that people say here and there in the Christian world, but do I really know what it is? I don't know. I think I could describe it, the general idea of it, but what does it actually look like? What does it actually feel like? How do you practically walk out consecration? Because I believe and I feel that God has kind of shown me that there is a deeper understanding of what consecration is and what it, what it looks like to be consecrated to God. So I'm going to start by telling a story. This story can be found in 1 Samuel chapters 1 and 2 and 3. Um, For those of you who are taking notes, you can turn there if you'd like. Um, I'm not necessarily going to be quoting directly from Scripture. 
So it's up to you. If you'd like to read along, that's up to you. Or if you'd just like to allow me to paint this story for you, that's fine as well. Just know that it comes from 1 Samuel chapter 1 and 2. It's not just from, from my brain. <clears throat> so our story starts out in, in Israel. And we are, are following a very special woman. Now this woman is married to a man <clears throat> named Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zeph, an Aphromite. But we can just call him Elkanah for today. So our leading lady is married to Elkanah, but this is not your normal Western marriage between one man and one woman. No, no, this is a polyamorous marriage, which is strangely quite normal practice in the Old Testament Israel. Never really understood that part, you know, how King Saul can have like 400 wives and also 300 concubines, you know, just in case you get tired of the 400 wives. <clears throat> so anyways, this is a polyamorous marriage, which means that Elkanah has another wife named Panina alongside our girl. So right away, this is not the most fun situation. Unfortunately, it doesn't stop there as our girl is sadly barren and she's been unable to offer her loving husband any children. Of course, as the world goes, this is not the case for Panina, who has birthed multiple children, uh, a fact that Panina enjoys commenting on consistently. So this pestering from Panina becomes so bad that our girl breaks down in tears and is unable to even bring herself to eat, despite her husband's encouragement and kind words. So you can imagine, this is intense. Like, this isn't just your typical poke, poke, nudge, nudge, laugh it off. This is like cutting directly to her heart. And that is because it, the desire for a son is burden so heavily on our girl. It is, it is, it is her heart's desire. <clears throat> and so every time the Panina says it over and over and over again, it just cuts, cuts, cuts until her heart is just shredded and she can't even bring herself to eat. Now you have to imagine that as an honorable, God-fearing Israelite, there have been countless prayers, both of anguish and pleading, that have come to her lips. She's an isolated woman, locked into an extremely awkward romantic situation, forced to live every day with her tormentor, with seemingly no answers from God. This isn't just one year, two years, the Bible says it's year after year after year that this goes on. So I think we can all probably understand why she would come to the point of breaking down and not even eating. <clears throat> so we pick up our story on the trio's normal yearly trip to Shiloh to provide their traditional sacrifice at the Lord's house. Every year they go, 
to this to the temple, and um, they provide a sacrifice to push their sins forward a year. And um, it's the way that it's described in the Bible. It seems that the pestering from Panina increases every time they go on this trip. <clears throat> so while they're there, our girl takes some time alone to enter into what is probably a very familiar prayer by now. <clears throat> oh God of angels' armies, if you will look on my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him completely, unreservedly to you. I'll set him apart for a life of holy discipline. So Hannah is pleading with God, praying to God, saying, God, please, please fulfill my heart's desire. Give me a son. And she goes even as far to say, if you do this for me, then I will give him back to you unreservedly, completely, with no hesitation. While she's praying, the high priest, a man named Eli, happens to take notice of her from a little ways off. But because he can't hear any sounds that are coming from her lips, and it just looks like she's babbling away, he assumes her to be drunk. And so he immediately rebukes her for entering the Lord's house in this state. Of course, she clarifies that she's not drunk, but instead in a state of extreme, extreme discouragement, pouring her heart out to God in sorrow. In response, Eli completely shifts his attitude, telling her instead, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request you have asked of him. <clears throat> and I want to pay close attention to her response to that sentence. This is what she says. Oh, thank you, sir, she exclaims. Then she returns home. Then she, then she returned home and began to eat again, and she was no longer sad. <clears throat> this is an extremely powerful moment right here. And just, just to finish up kind of the story, the next day she returns to the Lord's house and then afterward while she's laying with her husband, God remembers her plea and soon after she gives birth to a beautiful baby boy. I'm sure I slipped up a little bit and said her name. I was trying to not say her name the whole time. But <laughs> I'm sure many of you probably know, recognize who this is. It's, it's Hannah the mother of Samuel, who became one of the most renowned prophets of Israel. So her plea is answered. Hoorah! God has done a miracle and honored his servant. She has her baby now and all is happy. The interesting thing, though, is that her mood and outlook on life didn't shift when the baby was born, or even when she started to notice the bump in her belly. Everything for Hannah shifted months before, in a moment when seemingly nothing had changed. 
She didn't magically become six months pregnant in that moment. She didn't suddenly have a baby in her arms. God was like, here you go, baby, you're welcome. Panina hadn't even been removed from the dynamic. So you can imagine the pestering didn't stop, of course. Why would it? It would have been weeks, maybe even months, before she realized that something had changed and that she was pregnant. So why did she act as if everything had changed? I know it says to us, the phrasing of her response feels a little um, weak, feels a little unimpactful. She began to eat again, and she was no longer sad. And, but I think that phrasing, that word choice is maybe a little bit inappropriate, or that's not the right word, but doesn't fully capture what's actually happening. And I think, I think oftentimes that can happen when we're translating into English. And there's words that don't really fully describe the emotion of the moment. She was at the point where she was not eating. She was so sad. She was so heartbroken and disheartened. And all it took was one sentence from this man. And her whole perspective changed. And she went home and immediately started eating again. And she was no longer sad at all. It's, just, it's final. No longer sad. So it's, it's a bit more intense than I think our translation captures it. So again, why did she act as if everything had changed? And I think it comes down to the one variable, or rather the two variables that were different in the situation. The first one was this sentence. May the God of Israel grant the request you have asked of him. When Eli spoke those words, he spoke for God. He was a priest in the temple, a representative of the Lord on earth. So when Hannah heard that come from his lips, it was as if God himself had spoken to her. So that's the one variable that's different. God himself had spoken to her in that moment. And that was all she needed to in, uh, for, that was all she needed for her entire reality to change. That's the kind of relationship with God. That's the kind of relationship she had with God. Immediate trust, despite a complete lack of physical signs. An immediate shift of perspective and attitude, even though the torment and teasing from Panina probably did not stop. That's the kind of relationship that I want to highlight as an example to you two of what consecration looks like. Like I said earlier, Hannah was isolated. She was set apart, different from everyone else in the culture that she lived in. For years and years, she begged God to make her like everyone else. And to end her seclusion and give her a child. But that wasn't God's way. He had set her aside for a purpose. And at the beginning, it was hard. 
she experienced heartache and pain and isolation and torment from others. It was not easy for her, the fact that she was set apart. And it wasn't until she embraced a separation that everything changed. She had to get to the point where she was willing to say, God, I trust you enough and love you enough that if you fulfill my heart's desire and bless me with a son, then I will turn around and give him right back to you. I will give you my everything and dedicate him to you. I will step into the garden you, my Lord, have prepared for me. I will turn away from the torments and tauntings of the world and look into your eyes and trust you completely with this situation. She had to get to that point where she was willing to give up even her greatest and deepest heart's desire to follow God's plan for her before everything changed. She accepted the path of consecration that God had set for her. And look at the fruit that it produced. Samuel not only grew up to become one of the most renowned prophets in Israel, a powerful man of God that worked alongside giants like David and King Saul, but he also lived an incredibly consecrated life himself one of even more consecration, deeper consecration. And something that began all the way back when he was a little boy. So all of Hannah's willingness to step into consecration and what God had for her and the reasoning that God had set her aside and separated her paid off in Samuel's life. And she may not have necessarily seen it in her own life, but because she was willing to take that, make that sacrifice, Samuel was the one that benefited from it. And from a, a young, young age, God was already speaking to him and calling him. And he had his own moment of entering into the garden with God and saying, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. If I could have the worship team come. In closing... I have asked the worship team to sing a special song for us. Something that I have been listening to consistently for the last few months as God has been kind of laying this on my heart and been showing me the garden that he's prepared for me. And this, this song is all about allowing God to be our, the gardener of our hearts allowing him to tend to our souls 
as only a loving gardener can. It's a song about allowing him to cut away the overgrown. When you're tending to plants, sometimes certain plants can start to outgrow what they can handle. There are certain branches and leaves that become too long and too heavy for the plant to handle at that moment. And so it takes a gardener to come up and snip away that branch. And that branch is a part of them. It's a part of that plant. And so if you can personify a plant, I'm sure it probably would hurt to snip those things away, to prune them, to maintain them, to cut away the excess. But it's necessary for the plant's health. The plant would die, it would wither. It would have too much and not enough energy that it's receiving to be able to grow and flourish. That garden that I painted for you is the garden that God made for me. It's where... It is the garden that I strive to step into every day that I live my life because it's secluded. It's separated. It's intimate and special and only only God and I and who we allow can enter the garden. And there, therein lies sometimes the problem. Because God can allow people in, but I can also allow people in. That's true. I have access to open that gate just as much as he does. And so that freedom can allow space for me to let in the beauty of the world that God has created. It allows me the space to allow my wife to enter in when I find her when God reveals her to me and then it'll become our garden and allows me to welcome people that are good and loving into the space with God and me but it also means as God often does there's also a space for me to allow bad things in because I can open the door to anybody and I can choose to allow the death and disease and withering of the world, the broken world, I can, I can choose to allow that in as well. I can open that gate even if it's just a crack and that disease can start to seep in. And all of a sudden I'll be looking and, oh, that bush is dying. When did that happen? Oh, that tree has withered away completely. It's dead. It's it's ash. I didn't notice that until now it's gone. So in all of us, in this garden that is our hearts and our lives and our spirit that God has tended and 
tailored to us. We all, and you two especially, have the power to allow the world in. And you also have the power to allow the beautiful people and God himself in. And he leaves that choice up to you. So my prayer and my encouragement is that you would be like Hannah. And that you would come to a place where you can willingly step into that garden and accept the separation that God has created, the fence that he has placed around your garden. Because it's there to protect you and it's there to purify you so that you can go out and do what God has for you with the full power and anointing of his spirit. That's what Hannah had to come to. She had to come, she came to a point where she had to make a decision. Am I going to step into this garden and close that door, close that gate and say, God, this is your garden. I give you ownership of this. And I'm saying right now that only you can open that door. She had to come to that point. And when she did that, she was blessed abundantly. So as you're stepping into this next phase of your life, and especially you, Caleb, as you're stepping into adulthood, the beginnings, the infancy of adulthood, <laughs> especially for you, this is an opportunity for you to look at your garden that God has for you and look and see, is there anything in here that's overgrown? Is there anything in here that's withered away because of disease? Is there any hard, fallow ground that needs to be broken up and softened in my heart? And you too, Jeremiah. This is the chance, the opportunity to do that. And I encourage you to do that now in this transition period so that you can enter into this next phase already having done that. So I encourage you to take this opportunity, identify what needs to be cut back, what needs a breath of God's life to be regrown from the ashes, what needs to be broken up and softened so that new seed can be planted. Assess what, where those items are in your heart, what aspects of your life and, your, and how you act and your habits that needs to be done to. And then check the border, check all the fences around and see if there are any fences that have been knocked down or that you have cut down yourself. And then finally go to that gate, that gateway to your heart. And you close it for good. And say, God, this is your gate. I make you the gatekeeper. 
to my heart. And if there's any point down the road, and there, there will be, there will be, speaking from experience, that you see something out in the distance over the fence and you're like, oh, that's interesting. What's that? And you open the gate. And now start, things start to seep back in. If at any moment that happens, you have the opportunity, once again, to do the same thing. To ask God, God, I didn't realize what I was doing. I didn't realize I got caught up in the moment. Or maybe I even purposely chose to rebel you because rebel against you because I was angry or I was scared. And I felt like maybe that was better for me. If that moment comes and you turn to God, do not, do not run away from him. Do not be like Adam and Eve and see your nakedness and be ashamed of it and run and hide from him. Run straight to him. Run right into his arms and say, God, I have allowed darkness into my heart. I have allowed evil to infiltrate our sacred place. And I need you to close and fix what I have done because I can't fix it on my own. give you a promise right now uh, by my word I promise you that if you do this then you will be blessed by God he will bless you abundantly and those that come after you that follow in your footsteps those that are the seeds and the fruit of the sacrifices and consecration that you've stepped into now in your life. Those people that are the fruit of that, the people that you invite to church or that you share the gospel with or your children, those people will be starting off already with a locked garden. They'll be starting off ahead of you. They'll be starting out further than you because of the consecration that you've dedicated yourself to. So not only will you be blessed, but your children will be blessed and their children will be blessed and their children will be blessed and spiritual children that come from your ministry will be blessed and their spiritual children will be blessed because that's how the kingdom of God works. The accomplishments of the parent flow down to the, to the children. So keeping all this in mind, I know it's a lot, of, a lot of information, a lot to percolate on, to think on, to process. 
I want to give you guys an opportunity, and the rest of you as well, an opportunity to take a moment right now as the worship team sings this song over you. I would encourage you to actually not sing along with the song, but to enter into an intimate spot with God and tell God, I want to step into this garden. Ask him to show you what the garden looks like because it's going to look differently for you than it does for me. It might be a nice cozy house. It might be a boat on the lake. Ask him to show you what his garden looks like for you and step into that. And close that door behind you. Close that gate behind you. Turn on that motor and just kick it into overdrive. Get away from the shore. Get out on the ocean where it can just be you and God. Take this moment now to step into consecration. And then just be adamant about it. Be adamant about closing that gate. Checking the fences regularly. Okay. If I could everybody stand. If I, if I could have an usher come and take the stand away from me. My senior graduate, my eighth grade graduate. God has a plan for your life. One that you've, you're already walking out, that you will continue to walk out all the days of your life. And just as multiple people have said today, he's got big things for you. And all it takes is a surrendered heart. That's all it takes. So step into that today. Step into a surrendered heart and see where God takes it. See where God takes you because of it. So everybody, if everybody could just find a place of worship, a place where you can just be you and God. It doesn't have to be necessarily up in the front. But I do feel that it needs to be something where you're moving, stepping out of the comfort zone. Because this... It's not necessarily going to be the most comfortable process. But it's going to be better for you in the long run. So take this moment. Take this opportunity. I know that God is speaking to each and every one of you. Whatever he's saying to you, do it. Whatever he's asking you to do, do it. Sacrifice your heart to him and say, have my all, God.